0: Mr. Frank LaRose, how are you today? I'm doing great, Nate. How are you? I'm doing well. So you have an upcoming election, of course, this coming November, and it's the Secretary of State's main responsibility. You have quite a few when it comes to incorporations and filings and some of those kind of things, but really the main thing about the Secretary of State, the main role and responsibility is to ensure the integrity of elections.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, the, the way the way we like to describe it here is that our two main missions are that we help people vote and we help people start businesses. And those are two things that are foundational to the American way of life. But you're right, the most public attention is generally around my role as Ohio's chief elections officer and I love that part of the job.
0: Yes, and you've done a great job. I want to get your take cuz that was the big thing back in 2020. President Trump versus Joe Biden, President Biden now. And a lot of people believe that that election was not (laughs) there wasn't much integrity in that election. Do you hold that same position? I can tell you that we
1: ran an honest contest here in Ohio. The people of Ohio voted and had their voice heard. Uh, Here's what I'll say. There were things that happened in other states that shouldn't have happened. Most of it, by the way, happened in the context of what I would call crisis opportunism. People said, well, there's a pandemic. And so we've got to make this change or that in reality, what 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 occurred in a lot of these states were you know activist lawsuits that resulted in last minute changes or just administrative changes made by election officials, even in some cases secretaries of state that they should not have made. We held the line on that kind of stuff here in Ohio. We didn't allow activist groups to make election laws at the courthouse because we know that election laws should only be made at the state house, and that really is the biggest difference between Ohio and other places now. The other thing is, uh, some people have these ideas that there was some sort of like conspiracy ongoing or whatever else. A lot of that stuff is pretty far fetched. Some of these wild ideas about like a secret algorithm in the voting machine or you know ballots that were printed in China and smuggled into the back door of the board of elections. A lot of that stuff is pretty easily disproven, and honestly, just the 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 result of maybe an overactive imagination by some folks. But where where the real problematic things occurred wasn't in secret it happened right in front of God and everybody in full public view and it happened mostly in courthouses and it happened at Secretary of State's offices in some parts of the country where they they, they made last-minute changes they shouldn't have made the good news is as a nation we reflect on those kind of things and we learn from them going forward and I believe that in a lot of states um, they're, they're, they're they're learning the lessons from 22 and they're really, following Ohio's example, to to run uh, really good elections where we find the balance, right? And when I talk about balance, I'm talking about making it both easy to vote and hard to cheat. And it's a false choice that some would offer you. Some would say, well, you got to choose either a really secure election or a really convenient election. I reject that notion. You don't have to choose one or the other. Here in Ohio, it is easy to vote. And we're proud of that. We like it to be convenient. We all want convenience. But it's also hard to cheat. We run honest elections where people go to bed on election night, whether your favorite candidate wins or loses, Ohioans know that it's an honest process. So that's that's the goal that every state should have.
0: So when those states back to that night, because I was watching it come in, the the results were coming in. Ohio obviously called it for Trump pretty fairly early. And then some of the other states, the swing states were coming in and it looked like he was about to just like take a full sweep of all the swing states. And then something happened. Late at night where they kind of just paused a few of those states. I don't remember exactly which one, maybe North Carolina, Georgia. I'm sure you know better than I do. But they paused. And then all of a sudden, it's like we're now seeing that Trump loses in the next couple days after that, after he was really you saw the momentum, so is that just coincidental? Was there a conspiracy? What's your take on that?
1: It's, it's not coincidental, it follows a pattern and it's predictable, right? It's something that states should have known better and avoided. Now, let me go back to the summer of 2020 as my team and I were preparing for this really difficult election. It's never been harder to run elections than it was in 2020. Every aspect of elections and administration was made more complex by all of the pandemic stuff that we had to deal with, not to mention the fever pitch sort of political environment in our country and and all of that. I wrote something, I believe in mission. Maybe this comes from my time as an Army Green Beret, but you gotta know the mission. Everybody from the most junior ranking private to the most senior ranking general has to know what the mission is. And the mission that I wrote on my chief of staff's dry erase board in the summer of 2020 is that when Ohioans go to bed on election night, they will know and they will believe the results of the election. It sounds really simplistic, but what it means is that we're going to get those results done on election night and that it's going to be honest and and, and something that people accept. Here's where other states made mistakes. They didn't prepare for the logistics of the 2020 election. It came down to simple preparation, like everything in life does. And we knew, for example, that we were going to have much higher numbers of absentee voters. It's just intuitive that people were going to choose to vote Uh, from the comfort of home in the midst of the, 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 the stuff we were dealing with in 2020. So I predicted early on that our boards of elections should be ready for the number of absentee ballots to double. Well, that was almost exactly right. We had a doubling in the number of absentee ballots and we had a tripling in the number of early voters, people that go to the board of elections and vote in the weeks leading up to the election. We did the logistical work to be ready to count all those votes on election night. It's simple stuff like this. Uh, In some states, they didn't even start cutting open the envelopes until election night. Now, what that means is if you've got a vault at the county board of elections full of absentee ballots that have been coming in for weeks, and you don't even start cutting them open until election night, there's no way you're going to get them all cut open, check the signatures, verify the identification, even flattening the things out so they'll go through scanners takes a while, right? And so we told our county boards to do things like Invest in that thousand-dollar machine that cuts open envelopes. Some of our rural counties had for years just cut open envelopes with a you know a paper slicer by hand. Well, listen, a thousand-dollar investment in one of those machines that cuts open a hundred envelopes a minute—that's a big process improvement. We were able to process those results on election night. So when when the public perception was that the re- the results were one thing on election night and then they changed. It's not that the results change. It's just that they were continuing to count votes for days after the elections and absentee voters in many cases tend to follow a certain political uh, leaning, right? that There are more Democrats voting absentee in many places than there are Republicans. And so when you count those election day votes and then it takes you maybe even a couple of days to count all the absentee votes, there's going to be a perception that something changed. That's why we don't do it that way in Ohio. In fact, what a lot of people don't realize is that in Ohio, the very first ballots counted are the absentee votes. And so when you're watching election night results come in in Ohio and you see results at 8, 830, 9 o'clock at night, those first results are almost always the, uh, the, the absentee ballots. Those are the people that mailed in their absentee ballot because they're already, it's intuitive, they're already stacked up and ready to go at the County Board of Elections. It's not until 9, 9.30, 10 o'clock at night that all of the in-person election day votes get counted. But either way, as you mentioned, I think it was like 11, uh, 11.15 on election night that we had reported all of our unofficial election results. And again. That gives people confidence that they go to bed on election night, knowing that what they heard was the voice of the people speaking.
0: Yes, because the, the fact that when you have states that are delayed and they're behind and it stops and then we have the next day and the next day and you're waiting for the results to come in on TV, the perception is something fishy is happening. Sure. Whether the perception is real or perce- or not, <laughs> perception is reality. So then all the <laughs> stories start, all the talking starts. And then next thing you know, even the Donald Trump saying there's fraud, there's rigging the election. And then the whole country that voted for him saying that the the election's rigged and it makes our complete uh, the the election process that's been so sacred to this country. It made it look I've never seen it look so bad. And so it's such a hot topic right now. I guess my follow up question for you, Frank, is do you think that's fair? Do you think that that's fair that those states are allowed to be lackadaisical? and have extra days to count when Ohio's done, we're done, we go to bed, we know who won.
1: Yeah. So fair may not be the right word, but it is the system that we have in this country that there is not one nationwide federal election. There are 50 state-by-state elections. And really, it's even more granular than that in states like Ohio because it's really done at the county level. That's where the work of running elections. So we don't want the federal government to take over elections administration. I can promise you that right? What needs to happen is other states need to look at the example that Ohio set, And and it's intuitive why, Nate, if you think about it. Ohio's been in the national spotlight for decades. We've gotten used to the whole world watching. I just got home from Nigeria, Africa. I was there serving as an election observer on a uh, delegation that was sponsored by USAID, where they they asked me as an election expert to go and observe this Nigerian uh, election. And um, there, you know, they have a federal election system. It is one election committee for the whole country that runs it. We don't want that. We want each state to be able to run elections, but we want Ohio to be the example that other states follow. And this is why it's so important that we work uh, amongst ourselves as secretaries of state. I just got home a couple of weeks ago from the National Secretary of State's conference where other states were learning from us and we were learning from them in some accounts about how to do things better. That's the right way is for states to follow Ohio's example and improve the way they do things so that they can deliver those results on election night. And here's the other thing, Uh, a saying that I've had for a long time is the reason why we run elections so well is so the loser knows they lost. If you think about it, it's intuitive. The winner's always gonna know they won the winner's going to go out and do a victory speech, right? But you need to run your election so cleanly, so transparently that when you're ready to release those results and when you release those results, you ran it so well that the loser knows they lost. And in some states, they didn't do it as well as they need to, and they need to improve that. Was there election fraud in 2020? Could there have been? Yeah, so the honest answer is that there is never been a perfect election, right? In every election, there are some examples of election fraud. In Ohio, we are very aggressive about catching that and prosecuting it. I'll give you an example. Um, we, we do investigations and we will find sometimes a small number of non-citizens who found a way to get registered to vote and be able to cast a ballot. The good, the good news is it amounts to you know a fraction of a percent. It's like 0.000, 000 something percent. We will also find in some cases uh, where somebody voted in Ohio and voted in another state, and we will prosecute them for it. I've uh, I've sent a couple hundred people to law enforcement to be investigated and prosecuted for that very thing. Now, the good news is, again, it's rare. It's out of eight million registered voters in the state of Ohio and six million people that actually voted in 2020. It results in a very small number, but election fraud always can happen. We have to be diligent about preventing it. Did it happen on a widespread scale, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands? Most likely not, not in the criminal sense. But what what did occur again in 2020 that should not have occurred is elections officials in some states changed the rules at the last minute. I'll give you an example. Um, In some states, they just arbitrarily extended how many days they're going to allow for absentee ballots to come in and still be counted, even though their law didn't allow for that. They said, well, there's a pandemic, so we need to create this special thing. Or they cut a deal in a courtroom uh, with some activist group and and allowed uh, a judge's order to result in the election changes. So is that election fraud? Not in the traditional sense of the word, but it is is something that should not have happened and and, and shouldn't happen again going forward.
0: So you talk about process and procedure and preparation and... Without it, you don't have much. With it, you could actually run a successful business, a successful mission, a successful office like you've done. So give us some examples, Frank. You touched on it a little bit. Give us some of those examples. What are the things that we've done in Ohio that you've put in place with your organization to make sure that we have these smooth, efficient, effective elections? What have you guys done?
1: So as an Army Green Beret, we had a saying that we live by, that you sweat in peacetime so you don't bleed in battle. You sweat in peacetime so you don't bleed in battle. All it means is that you have to do the work ahead of time to be prepared. Now, I'll give you an example. In the context of an Army Special Forces team, when we plan a mission, it's not like this montage thing that you see in a movie where it's just like guys grabbing guns and jumping in trucks and going to fight the bad guys election, uh, sorry, uh, mission preparation, it's a lot lot like election preparation, mission preparation for a group of Army Green Berets is hours spent at a dry erase board, brainstorming everything that could go wrong, and then mitigating against it. Uh, Helicopter breaks down, guns jam, dog breaks its leg, you know, all the things that could go wrong, and then putting in place redundancies to keep that from happening. So that's the same discipline that we brought to the 2020 election. We organized a group that did a weekly Zoom meeting called the Ready for November Task Force. This Ready for November Task Force went through systemically each different part of election preparation, and we thought of the things that could go wrong, and then we mitigated against them. One example, as I told you, was being prepared to process a higher volume of absentee ballots than we'd had before. Another one is this. Um, you you know, for election day voting, or for that matter, for early voting, we knew that because of the pandemic preparations, that people were going to have to stand six feet apart. So when people stand in a line and they're six feet apart, the line's going to look longer because humans normally stand about two feet apart. And so what did we do? We brought in the line experts. Who's better at managing lines than Cedar point and Kings Island. So we brought (laughs) in the people from the amusement parks that gave us a tip. They said, how about put a sign out there that says only a 20 minute wait from this point. So that when people see what looks like a line that goes, you know, it looks like a long line, we can reassure them that it's actually, you know, not as long of a line as they think it is. Those are some of the things uh, that we did to make sure that we were prepared. And again, it was listening to the experts and putting redundancies in place to make sure that we were ready to go. Another thing, Nate, is this. Poll worker recruitment. This was probably one of our greatest successes in 2020. 2020 was a record-setting election in almost every way. We had more voters than we'd ever had before. We had more absentee voting. We had more early voting. Everything was off the charts. We knew that it was going to be harder to recruit poll workers because traditionally we rely on a lot of senior citizens that do this, and many of them were not comfortable coming out in public and being in a crowd of people uh, in the November timeframe of 2020. So we launched five different recruiting programs, everything from recruiting high schools, uh, high school seniors to come out as what we called youth at the booth to be a 17 year old poll worker to asking veteran groups. I was reaching out to my fellow veterans to answer another call to duty, to answer a second call to duty, if you will, to be a poll worker. And so when a lot of States didn't have enough poll workers, And in fact, there was an example in one state where they they didn't have enough poll workers and there were certain polling locations they couldn't even open on election day. They had to try to bring in sheriff's deputies to try to run a polling location. And listen, sheriff's deputies are, of course, highly trained professionals, but they're not election experts. This is not what they're trained to do. In Ohio, we had an overabundance. It takes, you know, 40 to 45,000 people to run election day. We ended up with 56,000 poll workers. That's like half of the seating capacity at Ohio Stadium to put it into into scale. And so every one of Ohio's 4,000 polling locations opened right on time on election day because we had enough poll workers because we did the work ahead of
0: time. Let me ask you, Frank, how do you vet these poll workers to make sure that they are also people that are full of integrity and aren't going to do anything uh, scrupulous?
1: So, again, this is one of those examples where everything is
0: very localized
1: in in Ohio elections, in national elections. It's not a uh, it's not a bug. It's a feature. Right. The fact that we have localized elections. And so each county board of elections is two Republicans and two Democrats that run the board of elections. The two Democrats and two Republicans are in those positions because they have the trust of their county Republican Party and their county Democratic Party. That's how they get nominated. And then I appoint them to the Board of Elections. So in any given county, the you know Republicans uh, on the Board of Elections are expected to vet Republican poll workers and the Democrats on the county board of elections are expected to vet the Democratic poll workers and it's a vote of the board to approve those poll workers and again any voting location you walk into half the staff there are Republicans half the staff there are Democrats and they serve in that capacity as poll workers because they have the confidence and the trust of their county Republican or county Democratic Party so that's that's very much a part of how we do that and by the way also These individuals all have to take an oath and they are bound by law to uphold that oath that they take to be a poll worker. And I can tell you that of the tens of thousands of Ohio poll workers, the vast, vast majority of them care deeply and are very purposeful about this work. And the other thing is they keep each other honest because again, it's half Republicans and half Democrats and they're watching each other. And again, it's that trust but verify thing. They work well together, but they know that one side's watching the other to make sure they're following the rules.
0: Yeah, nice checks and balance there. You mentioned redundancies. You, you have contingency plans. For an example, I've always wondered this. You have machines that just break down that day, right? And and then people are like, oh gosh, the machines aren't going to count. What's the what's the process then? If there are machines that break down at a location, what then are the poll workers supposed to do with those ballots?
1: Yeah, so a couple of things. We have power outages. There are examples of, heck, there was a, a building in Lorain County where the carbon monoxide alarm went off Thankfully, it was a nice weather day. They just hauled everything out into the parking lot and they ran the polling location out in the open air uh, because that's the kind of thing that the poll workers are are trained to do to sort of think of those contingency plans. So let's say there was some sort of failure of the actual voting systems in Ohio. There's always the paper, right? We've. we, we produce enough hard copy paper ballots that if they needed to, they could run the entire uh, polling location just on, on paper. Of course, that would take longer and it would cause lines and, and that kind of thing, but that's one of the redundancies that's in place. And by the way, Nate, I should mention this too every ballot in Ohio is on paper, there, there's not just an electronic tabulation. There's not just a paper tabulation. There's both in parallel. So when you cast your ballot in Ohio, it is electronically scanned so that we can give you the result on election night. If we had to count those millions of votes by hand, we wouldn't be able to report results until weeks after the election. Nobody would be happy with that. So we do that electronic tabulation to get that immediate result on election night. But there's also the dead tree wet ink hard copy paper for every ballot that allows us to go back and do a post election audit. By the way, when we did the audit of the 2020 presidential election, as we do for every election, there was a 99.98% accuracy rate. That is the fidelity between the hard copy paper and the electronic tabulation that has to match up. That's another one of the reasons. And by the way, Many states don't do this, but that's another one of the reasons that Ohioans are confident that our elections are
0: honest. Well, somebody doesn't think your elections have been honest. Your, your uh, competition here this November, her name's Chelsea Clark, the Democrat Party candidate, and I'm on her website, and she says, For years, state leaders have been trying to make it harder to vote. Ohio was once a leader in voting rights. But now we only make news when politicians engage in voter suppression. We need a secretary of state who will prioritize fairness, accessibility and efficiency at the ballot box. We need a secretary of state who will champion a democracy for Ohio agenda. How do you respond to that?
1: Yeah, it's unfortunate. That's empty campaign rhetoric from somebody who doesn't know what she's talking about. In fact, her own side, doesn't agree with her. There was a poll that was done. It was a CBS news poll with uh, uh, you know a, a large sample size in 2020 that asked Ohioans, is it easy to vote in the Buckeye state? It's uh, several questions that were on the poll, but one of them is, is it easy to vote? Even among Democrats, the number was close to 90% that agreed that it's easy to vote. So she's peddling something that even her own side doesn't agree with. And here's why it's irresponsible. It's irresponsible for Uh, either side, to claim things without evidence, right? It's irresponsible for Republicans to say that there's widespread systemic voter fraud unless they can show evidence. It's also irresponsible for Democrats to claim that there's widespread systemic voter suppression. And let me be clear, neither voter fraud nor voter suppression are ever acceptable. And reasonable people should be able to say, we will not tolerate fraud and we will not tolerate suppression. And we're gonna do things to to prevent either of those from ever happening. But when politicians, for self-serving reasons, claim false things like that, claim that there's widespread voter suppression, all they're doing is causing average Ohioans to, to, to lose faith in the system when there are no facts to bear that out. It is easy to vote in the Buckeye State, and that's something that we're proud of. It's also hard to cheat in the Buckeye State, and that's something that we're equally proud of.
0: Yeah, I like to call that all sizzle, no steak. There you go. All hat, no cattle, right? Right. I mean, it's just a lot of hot air. You're, you're throwing out the, this rhetoric. yet, yeah, OK, show us the proof. Show us why Ohio has been riddled with fraud. Show us why Ohio is behind the other states. Give us firm, concrete examples. I haven't seen those from that side.
1: Yeah, It's unfortunate because, again, Ohioans know. Right. Normal Ohioans that are raising their families, working to earn a living, they know that it's easy to vote, and they know that we run a trustworthy election in this state. So, again, that kind of empty, false campaign season rhetoric from, from somebody like that who is just personally wanting to, to to try to get people to vote for her, it's uh, irresponsible, and uh, we should expect better from a candidate for this office to somebody that wants to be the chief elections officer for the state of
0: Ohio. Yeah, absolutely. So take us, uh, Frank. At, we're we're in the middle of the summer here. Take us on your campaign trail. What does the campaign look like from here on out, and where will you be stopping? Some of the things you'll be talking about, etc.
1: Yeah. So uh, well, one thing is that um, we have an election that we're running right now, so we're pretty busy in the secretary of state's office because there's an August second election in Ohio for state representative, state senator and state central committee. That is as a result of all the redistricting uh, litigation and, and all the lawsuits. So we're in the midst of doing that. But in my off duty time when I'm out of the campaign trail, you know, what I'm running on is my record. Uh, I've been a steady hand on the rudder through the most difficult times in elections administration really that Ohio's ever seen. You know, 200 plus years, uh, Ohio's never seen some of the challenges that we're facing. But through all of this, we have worked with our county boards of elections to make sure they have the support they need to continue running elections that Ohioans can trust. Uh, I, I, ho- I, I, I will proudly run on that record, and that's what we're out there talking to voters about. And, and by the way, the average person they see through all of the, the, the rhetoric that you hear from the other side, and they know uh, they know that Ohio runs good elections, and, and they want to. They don't want an activist secretary of state. This is the other thing. I'm a proud Republican. I'm a conservative Republican, but you don't want an activist. You don't want a Republican activist and you don't want a Democratic activist. You want somebody that's going to run honest elections and then let the people make their decision. That's
0: what I have offered in my four years in this office. And that's what we'll continue to do. I totally agree. Your your position really is party neutral. It should be. Your position should be party neutral. You're talking about incorporations. You're talking about public records, public filings. And of course, election integrity, Nothing, regardless of what side of the aisle you're on, that doesn't matter for your office.
1: You know, it was a, a great American statesman, Thomas Jefferson, who said that um, the legitimate power that government has comes only from the consent of the governed. right? the permission that the people give when they elect you to an office is the only legitimate authority that you have as an elected official. And we know that the only way to convey the consent of the governed, the only way that the people give an elected official permission to do that job is through a free and fair election. And so in that sense, this is so much bigger than party. Again, I'm a proud conservative Republican, but the work that I do as, as the chief elections officer for the state isn't about Republican or Democrat. It's about running an honest election that every registered voter can participate in and people can be confident in. And that's what we'll continue to do. That's what I have done uh, because we're talking about the very foundation of our government, the very foundation of self-government and our way of life. That's worth protecting and
0: I'll continue to protect it. No mm-hmm. doubt about it. Your website, franklarose.com. If people want to learn more about you and your mission. You can go to the either the Ohio Secretary of State webpage or franklarose.com. We'll link those in the show notes. Last question for you. Um, You're in an elevator. You get to give your elevator speech to a group of people. Hey, I just saw Chelsea uh, spewing some stuff, and she's saying elections, blah, blah, blah. Give us your elevator pitch to whoever's listening about why you're the man for the office again. Yeah, so very briefly, it comes
1: down to running honest contests for the people of Ohio. It's not about this inflated rhetoric about widespread fraud or widespread suppression. Ohioans deserve better than that. What we do in Ohio is we run honest contests at the local level. We've been able to see this uh, this ship through some pretty choppy seas over the last couple of years. I think that's what Ohioans want. They want their elections to be honest and predictable and, and, and stately. They want them to occur in a stately way. Uh, that's what, what I have done, and that's what we'll continue to do. And by the way, it's the work of many hands. We've got a huge team that does this. At each of our 88 county boards of elections, it's half Republicans and it's half Democrats. My job is to support them in the work they do, make sure they follow the law as it's written, and make sure that we continue to run out of selections. not to mention the work that we do to help people start a new business, right? Another essential part of this office is the free market economy and allowing people to live that American dream of being an entrepreneur. Ohio does that better than most other states, and that's something else that we're really proud of.
0: Awesome, man. Hey, look forward to seeing you on the campaign trail. Continued success and best of luck to you. Awesome. Thank you,
1: Nate. Take care.